Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Guys, happy Wednesday. Hey, thank you so much for all of the amazing feedback that I've been getting from you guys um, and from everyone from all walks of life. I've had I've had businessmen saying that they listen to the podcast and um, they were particularly convicted about the one I did the other week on not being moody in our leadership. So there you go. Who could have thought that a business businessman could be convicted on that one? So anyway, I'm so glad that you guys are finding this super helpful and um, yeah, I hope that I continue to touch on topics that can really speak to our hearts. That's my aim. So what I want to talk about today is how do we handle hurt in, in leadership? How do we deal with the with pain when people let us down, when people disappoint us? And this isn't only in leadership, but it also could be like we might be running a business um, and it could be that someone in our business has let us down or, you know, something hasn't gone gone right with an employee and they leave us or it it could be any kind of pain or hurt in any area if we're leading in any kind of area it doesn't just have to be church life although obviously a lot of the time that that is what I'm talking about so basically if we choose to lead we will absolutely know disappointment and even heartbreak and it takes a lot of courage to lead through that and that's why often great leadership is so rare. Leadership has a really strong emotional component to it and it takes a lot of time and experience to grow towards becoming an emotionally competent leader. And unfortunately, or the difficult thing is that to become an emotionally competent or emotionally intelligent leader, whether that's like I said, in business or in leading a a youth ministry or a church or whatever it is, we need to actually experience the emotion. And you know, every leader is human. And when we avoid feeling the suffering and feeling the hurt and feeling the disappointment that we naturally will experience as humans, we actually can end up perpetuating it. So we need we need girls and guys who lead wholeheartedly from their hearts. And to do this, we need to move past leading from our hurt or to move past leading from our fear or our disappointment. You know, it's inevitable that people will disappoint and let us down, and especially in leadership. And um, I've done a lot of research. I've been involved in a lot of um, research when it comes to particularly millennials and um, this next generation, the iGen or Generation Z. Um, And a lot of the reasons for millennials leaving the church is because they find the people in the church hypocritical or judgmental and they've been disappointed and hurt and let down. And, you know, I've worked in lots of staff environments as a teacher as well. And it doesn't matter what part of life you're in, you will find that there are issues with people. It's completely normal. But what we need to do to help this generation, one thing that we can do to really help young people engage in church and not just get disappointed and leave is to make peace with the fact that because the church is run by people, because businesses are run by people, schools are run by people, we will be let down at some point and our expectation won't always be met. And we'll, you know, we'll have leadership where someone disappoints us or we disappoint them. So one of the things that we can do 
is to come with a clear expectation that it's not if we get let down or disappointed, but we need to teach our young people that it's actually what to do when we get let down and disappointed. So we're going to get let down because we work with people. We are a human. So we need to start teaching our young people what to do when it happens rather than to be surprised about it happening. So how do we deal with it? How do we especially deal with the pain that people, um, you know, often will intentionally cause without becoming bitter or without keeping everyone at arm's length or without giving up on leadership altogether? You know, there's an amazing leadership guru called Sam Chan, and he weighs in beautifully on this. He talks about um, your ability, our ability to deal with pain will be the degree to which we can lead. So if we want to be a better leader, we need to be able to raise the threshold of our pain. So reluctance to face our pain can actually be our greatest limitation. And he says this comment, which I think is so true. If you're not hurting, you're not leading. Welcome to leadership. <laughs> this is the, the difficult side. The, dif- the, the hard side is that if you're not hurting, you're not leading. And we can only grow to the threshold of our pain. So the more pain that we can handle, the higher we can go. Our pain threshold will either elevate us, stagnate us, or drag us down. Why? Because a lot of people can't cope with pain and therefore they withdraw themselves out of leadership altogether. But if we can learn to deal with the pain, it actually becomes an incredible springboard for growth. So I want to talk about a few things that might help us to deal with disappointment and pain in leadership. I know exactly where you're coming from. I know I've dealt with, you know, I mean, often over the years, Um, circumstances where people have intentionally or unintentionally hurt us and hurt me. And it can be difficult because at the end of the day, it's like, guys, I'm just here trying to help. Like I'm just here trying to do my best. And it can be really painful when people kind of turn on you, even when you're trying to do your best. So the first thing I want to talk about and one of my biggest takeaways with how to deal with pain is actually to allow ourselves to grieve the losses, but allow ourselves to feel the pain, allow ourselves to acknowledge that situation really hurt me and to actually let ourselves feel it. So I know for me, I've talked, I think I've talked before on this podcast about, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was really little. So I've been, you know, abandoned by parents, so to speak. And it's not because my parent didn't love me. I know my parent loves, loved me, loves me to this day. But when you've been someone that's been let down in life, albeit intentionally or unintentionally, I know for me, I can be super susceptible to being hurt in leadership. And so how does a leader grieve when people hurt us? Um, and the best thing that I could say is we need a safe space to say, to talk to someone about, you know, what's inside of us and and to say it like it is. I know I've seen a lot of bitter female pastors over the years and like, I get it. I actually understand why. I've also seen some that have just completely taken themselves out of the game. They can't deal with it. They can't deal with the hurt. They can't deal with the disappointment. And so they withdraw. And I don't want to be that way. 
You know, I don't want to become someone that's bitter or hard-hearted or that just withdraws out of the game. I want to be able to stay soft-hearted, but also not to collapse at every disappointment. And, you know, if we don't deal and allow ourselves to grieve the disappointments as they come, what will happen is it will come out dysfunctionally somehow later on and it will impact us as a leader. So we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with a trusted friend and we need to support ourselves with other people who are supportive, who are loving and who are courageous and will help us to be the same. And we can have honest prayers as well. I know the times where I've been disappointed or let down, I actually will pray about it. I will be so honest with God and I'll be like, you know what, God, that person really hurt me. That situation really hurt me. And I'm really honest with God about that. And I give myself a moment to actually work through that. And it's all right to feel the hurts. It's all right to feel the disappointment. As long as we're surrounding ourselves, you know, with people who can help move us through that. It's also an opportunity for us to acknowledge if it triggers things in us, like undealt with issues in us, like I said before, because I've had a parent you know, who's let me down, I'm, I'm quite susceptible to rejection. And so I know for me, when situations happen, certain things can happen and it doesn't really affect Cameron so much, but because I've been rejected in the past and I've got a susceptibility to being rejected, I can tend to get rejected really easily if someone hurts me or disappoints me. But rather than lashing out at that person, it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge and go, you know what? I know that I've got that susceptibility to being rejected. So therefore, rather than lashing out at the person that rejected me, it's an opportunity for me to turn inward and go, you know what, God, I need you to help me and to help continue to heal this area of my life. Um, I very rarely go to the person who's hurt me and tell them that they've disappointed me. I very rarely do that. I mean, sometimes it might be necessary, but mostly I've found that they're not ready to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And it really doesn't have any benefit to telling them. Every now and then there might be a circumstance where it's a good opportunity. You might be able to walk it through and talk it through with them. Um, but I also don't go to that person if I think that it's going to do nothing to help them or to change them. If it's only going to relieve me, then I won't go and talk to them about it. I'll let God deal with those internal wounds and losses. So what can happen though, if we don't allow ourselves space to grieve the losses, to feel the pain, it actually, not only does it affect us and makes us more bitter and makes us um, more hard-hearted, but it actually can affect our leadership because what happens is, if we hold on to those hurts, we don't acknowledge others. We even will go out of our way to avoid them. And they can feel that. People can feel that. Um, or we try and control others. That's another classic. I know for me, the more hurt sometimes that I am, the more that I want to control other people, which is self-protection because we don't want other people to do the same thing back to us or we don't want them to do it again. And so we can become controlling. Um, or if we don't try and control people, we try and control situations. We can lose our temper. We can become critical of others. And so they're all the ways that it can affect our leadership. And, you know, I remember years ago hearing that 
this definition of real love, that true love is moving towards others without self-protection. And something that Cameron often says, which I love, is always be the bigger person. You are the bigger person if you can keep moving towards the person that hurt you. You are the bigger person if you can keep reaching out, keep your heart soft and, you know, give yourself space to work through it, but then continue to move towards that person in in love and in acceptance. So the second thing, after we allow ourselves to grieve, the next thing is to then forgive. You know, often as leaders um, or even in a business situation, we feel like we have to forgive very quickly because that's the Bible and that's what we're taught to do. But, you know, we actually need to give ourselves that opportunity to grieve first and then to forgive. Because when we don't grieve our loss, if you don't, we don't grieve our disappointment and we try and pretend that it doesn't affect us, it will come out dysfunctionally. So grieve first and then forgive. Um, you know, I love the psalmist in, in Psalms, how it always talks very honestly about David talks very honestly about how he's feeling, but then it's often the presence of God that comes in and and heals his hurt. Jesus grieved his loss in the garden of Gethsemane, and he actually doesn't forgive until the next day when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. So we will have the strength to forgive when we have grieved. Now, I know some people have got more of an ability to forgive straight away. Forgiveness is a decision. But I know, to be honest, there have been people in my life that have really hurt me and I need that space first to be able to feel it, to feel the disappointment, to be honest that that wasn't fair, it wasn't right. And then once I've allowed myself space, I find it much easier to then forgive that person. I still might not feel like it, but I do it as an act of obedience. And um, we know that we've forgiven, truly forgiven, when the issue no longer comes to mind. But if we're still playing it over and over, then we haven't actually forgiven, which means we haven't finished grieving. So allow ourselves to grieve, then that will give us space to forgive. And the third thing that I'd say is this, is don't let, don't feel like you have to be the one to, um, to correct that person or to correct that situation. So therefore don't go venting on social media. And oh my gosh, I see this a lot and I know so many situations come to mind um, where people have vented on social media. I remember this one particular one where somebody had left and they didn't leave well. Guys, if you leave somewhere, try and leave well. Don't try, actually leave well. Um, I know Cameron and I have always made sure that wherever we've left that, you know, we leave well. Anyway, this person, they didn't leave well and they had clearly done the wrong thing and um, we had tried to pass to them through it, but they just thought they knew better. And that, that's what I mean about people disappointing. You know, it's like I knew that we were in the in the right. I knew that we were trying to do what was biblical and this person just clearly wanted to do things their own way. But then... To make it worse, like stabbing a knife in our back, they just constantly vented on social media. You know when people post stories and they're pretending to be all spiritual and, you know, so um, 
that so so full of wisdom, but you know that what they're posting is they're having digs at you or digs at your church or digs at your leadership or digs at your business. And this person kept doing that. They kept leaving stories and posts that were very obviously pointed at us. You know, if you see that, A, don't do it yourself. It's actually a very immature and small-minded person that does that. So don't do that yourself. And B, if someone does that to you, just ignore it. We literally just kept ignoring it because we didn't want to give it any airtime. But you know, when you make a point on social media, it's not actually stoic of you. It's not mature of you. And the reason is this, social media doesn't count as therapy. You posting or me posting something when someone hurts us on social media, that's not actually helping yourself and it's not helping the other person. It's not actually doing anything toward to help you towards your healing. What it does do is it actually shows your hurt. And really, when we post on social media, when we've been hurt, it's really a form of self-protection. It's saying to everyone, you hurt me, don't do that again. And it's warning everyone off and, it, and it's trying to punish that person. And I tell you, I get it. I do. There's been times where I've wanted to make a point on social media and I've concocted this really amazing, you know, post and I'm about to press send. But in my heart of hearts, when I really, you know, if I really get down to it and I'm really honest with myself, I'm just trying to get back at that person. I'm not trying to bring healing And so I know that this would be speaking to people out there. Perhaps you've done this before. And if you have, that's okay. We've all, you know, made mistakes. We've all done that. But if you can just remember before you press send next time that it's not bringing healing to you and it's not bringing healing to the other person. And it will actually have a detrimental effect on your leadership because people will see that and It decreases people's trust in you because they will think, well, if you do that to that person, then you might do that to them. And it's actually being the bigger person to to leave it alone and to let God deal with that person's heart and to ask God to deal with your heart as well. Um, You know, often too, and this is something I remember reading about not making other people taste the poison that you've had to taste, that when other people have hurt you, when you post about it, it's actually making other people taste the the, the bad taste that you've had to taste. And it, it's a much bigger leader. You're being a much bigger leader if you can protect other people from that. And so, you know, all of this snuggling with our pain is really a way to fortify our self-protective armor. And that's probably one of my biggest takeaways with leadership is that the day that I continue to self-protect is the day that my leadership influence is over. Um, there are moments where I want to self-protect. And like I said, it's okay to, to go through that process and to grieve. But when we're in any, any form of leadership or business or any, any way of leading people, it's our job to just constantly move towards people without self-protection. And that's scary. I really get it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of Brene Brown. She is a phenomenal um, 
got some phenomenal leadership books, uh, one in particular that's called Daring to Lead. She's a researcher. She actually researches guilt and shame. I know, right? Anyway, her stuff's amazing, but she says something incredible that I just want to read to you. She says, don't play, don't grab hurtful comments. You know, sometimes people will say hurtful things or they'll write hurtful things. Don't grab them and pull them close to you by rereading and ruminating on them. Don't play with them by rehearsing your comeback. I mean, my, who's done that? I know I've rehearsed my comeback many times. And whatever you do, don't pull hatefulness close to your heart. I love that. Don't pull that disappointment close to your heart. Let what's unproductive and hurtful drop at the feet of your unarmored self. And no matter how much your self-doubt wants to scoop up the criticism and snuggle with the negativity so it can confirm its worst fears or how eager the shame gremlins are to use the hurt to fortify your armor, take a deep breath, and find the strength to leave what's mean-spirited on the ground. You don't even need to stomp it or kick it away. Just step over those comments, keep daring, always remembering that armour is too heavy a price to pay to engage with cheap seat feedback. And I love that. And I know that many of you, that would have really spoken to you, that perhaps even now you're holding on to a hurt of some kind, something that someone has done to you or let you down. And, you know, if I can just encourage you today just to let those hurtful comments go, don't snuggle with them, don't hold them in your arms, don't keep going over and over them, just literally let mean-spirited things fall to the ground. And my final thing I would say would be this, and that is to stay open-hearted. So let the grieving, allow yourself to grieve, then move on to forgiveness, uh, then don't vent, And finally, stay open-hearted. It is the more difficult thing to do, but it's the brave and courageous thing to do. And I'm telling you, God is really forming and looking for uh, a generation of young girls who are courageous and brave by staying open-hearted and moving with the ability to move towards others without self-protection. They're the kind of leaders that we need. Being open-hearted allows us to stay empathetic and to be compassionate towards people and to continue to display caring behavior. It actually allows us to help bring healing to a situation and often, often it disarms the other person anyway and maybe could even lead to an an apology, not that that's the reason you do it. Um, So there we go. I, um, I hope that that's helped you today. I know for me that that's helped to not only increase my leadership over the years, but it's just really good for your own soul. It's good for my own soul to continue to be that person to move towards others. So there you go, handling the hurt. Anyway, the last couple of minutes, I just want to answer a question that uh, somebody sent in. Really good uh, question. How do you encourage female leadership in a church that doesn't exactly support strong female leaders or give much opportunity to female preachers or pastors? How can you change the culture so you don't just have to marry a pastor to lead? Okay, great question. So here's my answer. Um, I actually grew up in a really traditional church that didn't have any females in leadership. Um, and I loved it. I did love it. Um, 
my mum then moved us from that church to a much more progressive church, probably when I was about 13 or 14. So a couple of things I want to say, because I've been in both situations. One is this, God is actually in control of your life, your call, your future, not a church or a person. And even when I was young and I was in that traditional church that didn't have any female leaders around me, I had no examples. I didn't have any pastor, female pastors, no female leaders, nothing. But yeah, I remember receiving the call of God on my life when I was about 10. I remember God speaking to me so clearly. And I never thought to myself, well, how am I going to do that? Because I'm not in a church that, um, you know, that encourages leadership for females. So I know that God is in control has always been in control of my life. Proverbs 18.6 says that your gift will make room for you. So if you're in that situation, keep developing the gift of God within you and the call that you feel and continue to believe that God is the one who opens doors. He can move on the hearts of the leadership around you and get really, really good at what you do. Get really, really good at whatever it is that you do in leadership because then people won't be able to help but look to you. So that would be my first bit of advice. My second would be this. I would still prayerfully consider whether God wants you to move to an environment that does encourage females in leadership. Um, And the reason is it is very difficult to change the culture. So you asked me how I would, you know, can we change the culture? You really can't change the culture from the bottom up. Culture always changes from the top down. Leadership's the answer. Leadership's the problem. Leadership's everything. So a culture can only be changed downwards. And so when my mum moved us when I was 13, she did that because she wanted me to be in an environment where I'd be really inspired in my relationship with God. So I think my mum realized that as good as that traditional environment had been for me up until then, that I needed something more. And so very prayerfully, my whole family considered and my mum had just remarried. So we did move and it literally changed my life. I would not be who I am today if she didn't do that. I was surrounded with incredible leaders. Um, I've grown up from the age of 13 where it is normal for me in my environments. It's normal for the for the girl to be able to lead just as strongly as guys. Um, I grew up under Sam and Russell Evans, who uh, a lot of you would know Planet Shakers, which is an incredible global movement. I grew up in their lounge room. And so it was normal to me to watch Sam preaching and leading. So yeah, I think you need to work out, can I stay where I am? Is this where God has called me to be? And if so, then I trust God with my call. Or has this environment been amazing to get me where I need to be, but I need to move? Um, Also, I know for me, I think ahead generationally. So I think of not just myself, but I would be thinking of your, you know, I don't know if you've got daughters yourself, but for me, I thought about Georgia. And one of the reasons we started a church was because I wanted her in a leadership environment kind of a youth group that switched her on to her God call. I didn't want her just to have a nice life. I wanted her to want a God life. And so we started our church because we just couldn't quite find a youth ministry um, that had that kind of um, culture in it. And so it does not surprise me that our church, public church, actually has more female leaders than than male. Um, I was even talking to our worship director today and he said, oh my gosh, this is unusual. We've got way more female worship leaders. And I'm like, no, that doesn't surprise me. 
that's what we're cultivating in our environment. So there you go. I hope that answered your question. Please, guys, make sure that you write in to me, DM me on social media if you would like me to answer one of your questions. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I think you're absolutely incredible. And I'll speak to you next week. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.com.